other than just an awkward transition right into it, I need, uh, yes, my man Cleto. Cleto, you're, one, you're on your phone. That's not why I was doing that. But two, uh, I need you to come up here and do 40 push-ups. Yeah. All right. Let's see it. There's, by the way, what makes you want to do this? Because there's nothing attached to this other than I just told you to do it. That's why you said yes, because you're a little tired? Okay. All right. All right. Let's see it. Let's count them out. Okay. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. This is messed up. Nineteen. 20, I should be doing this, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, come on, 28, there you go, 29, all right, give it up for this man, all right, hey, Good job. You're welcome to stay here if that's your worship to the Lord. Um, literally, this man said, I'm laying myself down as a sacrifice at the altar of this stage. By the way, I did this in junior high last week, and they said, would I do it? And I'm not doing it again. I did 35. Real talk. I did. I did. Real talk right there. Let's go. Uh, okay. Skleto, good job. I don't actually have a prize for you, but what I do have is... Who would be willing to try to see how many they can do for a $5 gift card to Chick-fil-A? Who thinks they can do? Come on, man. Come on. What? Think you can do it? Come on. What can you do? Who wants to go? All right. All right. Who? All right. What do I got? What do I got? What do I got? What do I got? All right. There, I had to get it. There it is. There it is. Whoever can do more. Whoever can do more. Whoever can do more. All right. Let's go. Right here. Right here. Okay. All right. Down. We're gonna, I'm going to count them off. You got to go. Ready? One. That means go down. One, two, three, four. Go on mine. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. Oh, he's done. He's done. You want to keep going or no? There you go. $5 gift card. All right. All right. Cleto, because you did it and you just came up here and trusted my authority, $15 to Uber Eats. There you go. So, you know, 
this is a great, this is kind of a great example. It actually, my example worked even better in junior high because a student that I asked in junior high literally flat out said no to me. He was like, I will not come in there and do it. I said, dude, you couldn't have worked in a more perfect to my example. And the reason I gave that example is because a lot of times we're in the book of Judges and we're going to talk about Barak and Deborah, but a lot of times we act like Barak does. You're going to see it in a minute. And that is we give conditional responses to God. God says, I'm calling you to do this. And our response is, sure, God, if you'll do this. God, if you do this thing, if you, if you do this for me, then I'll go and do what you want. I thought it was pretty cool. I think Coletto in one sense just trusted my authority. He's like, okay, you said to do it, I'll come do it. And no offense to the other guys, but they were like, oh, I'm more willing to do it when I get a $5 gift card, right? And not to say that in one sense God is necessarily always going to somehow bless us. But when God calls us to do something, and I'm guilty of this, he's not wanting conditional response from us. He's wanting a, yeah, I'll do it. I'll walk it out. You know, it, it's funny. I have this in my notes here. Somehow, baby, you always make it to my sermons when you're in here. Um, but sometimes I'll say to myself in my head, I'll be like, you know, Wendy does all the cooking around here, so I'll, I'll do the dishes and I'll take out the trash. Because she, she does the cooking. I should... I should do the dishes. I feel like my son just called me out and said, I don't do all the dishes. He may have just said that. Uh, but or I'll say this in my head like, oh, you know, I do all the work on the cars, so I deserve a rest. I should just, I should just deserve to just kind of come and just take a rest and not have to do anything. I put conditions on what I'm willing to do. And I think we all do that more than we think we do. We put conditions on things. Can any of you else relate? You know, maybe it's with your mom or your dad or especially your brothers and sisters. I bet you, you say to your brothers and sisters, look, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Can I just get, who does that? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Yes. Conditional responses. And here's what happens. Here's the thing about when we put conditions on things. When we put conditions on things, what, is it, what it does is it reveals the true motive of why I'm doing what I'm doing. A lot of ways, I think Cleto's response was a really pure response. He's just like, okay, I'll come up and do it. Now, he said he was tired. I'm like, weirdest response to decide to do more push-ups, but okay. But I think his response was like, hey, you're right, motives. You asked me to do it. I'll come and do it. And not that it was bad that those guys wanted to come do it for a gift card, but right, the idea was, oh, I might get something from it. So I'm willing to come and do it. And so today, we're going to look at Judges chapter 4, mostly a little bit in chapter 5. We're going to look at Deborah was actually the judge. Barack was kind of the military leader, but we're going to look Mainly, Brock is actually the main character, and we're going to look at his life. Now, I want to go back a little bit. I just want to set this up. Uh, Aaron kicked off two Sundays ago speaking on the consequences of moral relativism, and it really, that message just, it hit me hard, because I realized that we all are susceptible to kind of falling into that moral relativism and doing what is right in our own eyes. We're, just, it, we're really easy to fall into that. It's so easy to be like, what, what feels right in my own eyes? I'm going to do that. And then Sterling last week talked about the cycle that the judges, that would happen to the people of Israel in the book of Judges. I got a slide up there for it. Uh, the first one is there'd be rejection. The Israelites would reject God. They would reject his ways. They would go their own way. And then what would happen is because of that, God was like, well, now I'm going to send probably most, many times the Canaanites or other people, he would send them uh, into, to conquer them, to conquer the Israelites. So then they would be in oppression. 
then what would happen is they'd be in oppression for so long, they'd be conquered, and they'd finally be like, okay, God, now we're crying back out to you. We don't like this. This has happened long enough. We can't seem to get our way out of it. We cry out to you, God. We repent. We cry out. Then God would send a judge or a deliverer deliverer, uh, or a leader to deliver them. He would raise them up. They would take them out of oppression. They would have a certain time of rest where they weren't under oppression. They weren't disobeying God. And then the cycle would restart. And this is the cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges. And I think we can probably all relate to this some way. Not that some nation come takes us over, but it could often be even just a sin in our life. That we're like, okay, God, I was following you. No, I really want to go do my own thing. And then we, that, that sin can almost oppress us. It can kind of take us over. Then we finally come back to the Lord. He delivers us, and we go through this cycle again. Now, I do want to just hope you know some of the other judges in the book of Judges. So open up to Judges chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, open up to Judges chapter 3. By the way, on your table, I've got uh, Judges 4 on there. But we're just going to quickly run through Judges chapter 3 so we know what happens. So the first judge, the first leader, the reason they're called judges, because kind of like a, uh, like a ruler, they would have judgments on both morality, but also they would be kind of this leader that led the people out. So the first one is Othniel. Not really a lot is said about him, but we see the cycle. Verse 7, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. He sold them into the hands of Cushan, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathiam eight years. And so we see this cycle. And then it just says that uh, Othniel was the guy that came in. He let him out. Pretty simple. Okay, then we get into some more interesting judges. We get into Ehud. Uh, what, uh, do we have any left-handed people here? Who's left-handed here? Okay, good. This is your man. Ehud is your man. He is the left-handed guy. Let's read this story really quick. So the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. So they gathered a bunch of people. They took possession. uh, They become oppressed. And then we read the people of Israel in verse 15. They cried out to the Lord. He raised up for them this deliverer, Ehud. And so what happens is, uh, as we look in verse 16, it said, Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon. So he comes to bring this tribute, or basically because they were oppressing them, the Israelites had to bring certain like gifts to them to appease them. So it says that he was bringing the, he was bringing the tribute to them. And it says, this is what Babu says. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. That's just verse 17, okay? That's just what it says. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at at the idols, Neil Gilgal, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. So the king, because so Ehud comes like, hey, I got this secret message for you. And the king's like, oh, okay, I want to hear what this secret message. He probably thought it was something good for him. So he sends all his, all his basically his bodyguard, he sends them all away. And so the, the big thing is here is because Ehud was a left-handed man, and the this was right here. They didn't even look to see if he had anything on his right side. It said, And Ehud came to him, and as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached out with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. 
for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out of the porch, closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself. They thought, he's going to the bathroom, probably number two. That's why he's got it closed. In the closet of the cool chamber, and they waited till, till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the, he opened it, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. So Ehud, second judge, is an assassin. I mean, he says, hey, I got a message from you. And he brings this, and, and they, the people of Israel cried out. God raised up a judge for them. Gets kind of crazy. Okay, then we look at, I'm just blowing through these. We look at Shamgar. Not a lot is said about Shamgar, but if this was literally said at my funeral, I would be good. And it says, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. That is literally all that's said about Shamgar. Yes, and all the guys are like, what a legend. What a legend. Uh, Some of you are wondering what's an ox goad. It's that thing up there. It was what was used to kind of make the oxen go or pull them back, whatever it may be, when they were plowing the fields. And Shamgar just went ham. He went savage, killed all the Philistines. So after that, let me pray. We need to pray now. Uh, Father, there is just some really crazy things in your scripture. And God, you raise up these judges and bringing deliverance. Um, And God, we live in a world that is wicked, and we see them bringing um, judgment on the wicked people that had overtaken them. And uh, so, Lord, I, I pray that just as we look today and we look at the life of Barak and, and Deborah and we see these other judges, we see the cycle that they go to. And, Lord, I think in many ways you gave the book of Judges for us to see these cycles and go, God, we don't want to walk in them. How do we see them and not walk into it and instead follow you? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Judges 4, either there's some sheets there, there's not enough for everybody. You can, some of you can open your Bible. If you have your Bible, let other people use the sheet. So, Judges chapter 4, starting in verses 1 and 2, okay? Everybody there? Judges 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, the Canaan was the land, the promised land that they were conquering, and the people that were there were the Canaanites, different kind of tribes within them. So this king, uh, Jabin, king of Canaan, he says, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. This is going to be a main character here, who lived in Herosheth Hagioim. Uh, if you go to the map, I've got a slide with a map there. I'm hoping we can see it up there. We might need to turn the lights on just a little bit. Sorry, a little bit tough to see. Um, but kind of to the top right is Hazor. That's where King Jabin, King Jabin lived. That's where the Canaanites lived. So up there. So we need to remember, we need to remember this. Because I think it can be easy to read the book of Judges and think, why is God so mean to his people? Like, it just seems like God's just mean. Like, why doesn't he just deliver them? And God is a father, and he, he is disciplining his children with a desire to bring them back. That's his whole goal. I think if they would have been oppressed, and the next day if the people would have cried out and said, Lord, will you deliver us? I think God would have delivered them. God was just waiting for them to repent and come back to him. So I just think we need to keep that mindset that just as a good father is, is rightfully disciplining his own children, that is what a father is doing to us. Our father God is doing to us. Is he sometimes allows hard things to happen to discipline us to bring us back. 
Now, verse 3 says this, and this is important. It says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, we think of this, there, I got like a picture up here of an iron chariot, um, and we, we don't really think much of this, right? Because we have like nuclear bombs and m- tanks and all kinds of stuff and fighter jets. So we don't think this is a big deal. But back then, an army of 900 iron chariots was a formidable opponent. The Israelites were like, we have nothing against this. So it's really important when it says 900 chariots of iron, he oppressed them cruelly for 20 years. 20 years. And I don't want to look too much into this, but I do want to say this. I think that for us sometimes, we can look at certain things in our life, whether it be sin in our life, whether it be things that God calls us to, and we look at them and we're like, that's the 900 chariots. Like, there's no way that God could overcome that. There's no way that God can break that. There's no way that God could work in that person's life. And what we're going to see today is, we're going to see that when we faithfully obey God and walk in the way that he desires, God does things that we wouldn't be able to imagine. And he opens up doors. And he can deliver us in ways. And it's not that God is always looking again to deliver us or to bless us. But God does want glory. And how does God get glory? When he delivers. When he delivers his people. So these these 900 chariots, the people of Israel are oppressed. And then we look in verse 4 and it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. If you go to that map slide again, so she's sort of uh, down in the bottom. The bottom one, sorry, didn't realize it'd be that blurry, but it's just down at the bottom, that uh, white circle, towards the bottom of Israel, where the tribe of Benjamin is. That's where she would sit, and she would judge. Literally, she would judge. That people would come to her, and they'd be like, hey, we've got this issue. Can you help us out? And she would give a judgment to it. So Deborah the prophetess, and also a judge, is sitting under this palm. She's le- kind of leading Israel, judging. And then it says, verse 6. And she sent, and she summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor. It's kind of in the middle. Uh, Mount Tabor is kind of in the middle. Taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon. And then she says in verse 7, and I, this is, she, this, she's speaking on behalf of God, and I, God, will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I, will give, and I will give him into your hand. So there's something really important here to understand. One is, God says, you're going to go on Mount Tabor. Now in Israel, it's very flat, except for there's a couple places that have some pretty big hills and pretty big mountains. And just like now, if you have the high point in a military battle, you have the massive advantage. So God says, I'm going to take you up to Mount Tabor. You're going to start from there. You're going to have the advantage here. And not only that, but around Mount Tabor, the actual landscape would funnel down into this. So what's going to happen is the army is going to come through and going to funnel right into this mountain. So they, God's telling them, you're going to have the military advantage. Even though there's these 900 chariots, I'm going to deliver them into your hand. But God doesn't tell him how he's going to do it. God doesn't say this is exactly how it's going to happen. He just says, you need to go. You need to walk by me in faith. So the message from God through Deborah 
informed Barak that God would be in sovereign control of the battle. He says, look, I'm going to lure Sisera out. I will give him into your hands. Now, look at, let's look at Barak's response. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Barak's response was what? Conditional. I think I heard it. It was conditional. Barak's like, okay, Deborah, God said this to you. I trust you in everything. But look, clearly God's on your side. I'm not sure if he's really on my side. So if you go, then I'll go. So he gives this conditional response. Now, there's one other piece that I, I think here as I read this that happened here, and that's this. God told Barak that he would deliver him. Like, it wasn't like he was like, this is maybe going to happen. He's like, Barak, this is going to happen. And I think Barak's silence knew that, Barak knew that God had already told him this. I think that God had already told Barak, you need to be, you need to be the military leader here. You need to go out and do this. And so then really Deborah, the prophetess, was really just a confirmation from it. I think Barak already knew that this is what he was supposed to do. But he's like, okay, God, I kind of want another sign. Conditional response here. And, you know, we're not really told of the motivation of why Barak responds. But regardless of his motivation, I do think, we need, I, do think I need to say this. And I need to say this to my, myself. His response to the Lord's command is not worthy of the Lord. I, I, I just, like, I think a lot of times we, we kind of, we love conditions. We want to be like, yes, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but I'd much rather, I want to see you do this, and then I'm okay with doing this. And I, I just think the reality is that Brock's response to the Lord is not worthy of the Lord. His response is conditional, meaning that he's putting these conditions on the Lord. Now, let's take a minute, and let's talk about motivation here, because I think motivation is the key behind why we put conditions on things, or why we don't put conditions on things. And I think motivation is the key to the concept of this story. Motivation is defined in two simple ways. The reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. Or the general desire or willingness of someone to do something. And so we have to ask ourselves a little bit of a question. Is motivation a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I think it can be both. Is it just something we naturally have? I think sometimes we naturally have motivation to do things. Sometimes we don't have natural motivation to do things. Is it something we can cultivate? I think to some regard, we're going to talk about it in a minute, we can cultivate motivation for things. But here's the thing. When something gives us pleasure, let me give you some examples of things that give you all pleasure. Some of you, this would never really give me pleasure, but some of you like reading, right? So, yes, there's all my readers. Like, the pleasure that it gives me to read is that it means I'm going to fall asleep even faster in bed. Instead of 13 seconds, I'll fall asleep in eight. Some of the things that give, you, give us pleasure, I'll just go through. Video games, on social media, watching YouTube videos, playing sports, spending money on Facebook Marketplace, spending time with Fred. I was calling myself out there, okay? I was calling myself out. Uh, yeah, spending time with friends, right? All these things that I just said are just easy to do. Like, they don't take us much motivation. It's easy to go to them. We've trained our brains that these things are enjoyable, and so because they're enjoyable and they don't seem to require much of us, they take little motivation to do. But things that are more difficult, I'll give you some examples, 
chores, treating our siblings well, getting off the video games to do schoolwork, maybe having to get up early, respecting our parents and teachers. I hear some like, mm, like I hear some amens. This is amens here. These are harder things. Saying no to sinful things, spending time in God's word and in prayer, having spiritual conversation. You know, these things are, are more difficult to do. And we have little motivation to do them, oftentimes because we've, we've kind of let our brains sort of be trained to go, well, these are difficult. And our brains have not attached good outcomes to these things, even though these things have far more beneficial outcomes than the things that come easy to us. And I'm not saying that the things that come easy to us are necessarily bad, but we've created them in a way that we just go to them. They're easy. We go to them. They're easy. And so our brains have not attached good outcomes to the things that take a little bit more effort. Barack knew what Deborah told him to do would require trust and faith in God and stepping out. Barack knew that. His mind knew that. He knew, God, you're telling me I'm going to go against these 900 chariots that have oppressed us for 20 years, and you're going to deliver us? He's like, God, I believe you, but it's kind of hard. So if Deborah will go, I'll go. I think also for Barack, kind of going into the motivation, it was the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown. God, how are you going to do this? The fear that it will cost him something. It will require something of him. And you know, sometimes like for Barack, in one sense, he was the guy that was called by God to stand alone. And sometimes for us, when we're called to stand alone, it might be in this group, it might be in school, on a team you have, whatever it may be, when we're called to stand alone, it's hard. You know why? Because it's really great when we've got friends coming along with us. And sometimes God calls us to be, I'm the one that's moving you to do something, and then other people will come behind you and follow. And that's what we're going to see. When Barack said, okay, I'll go, even though it's conditional, he said, I'll go. Guess what? The 10,000 men came. They all came out, and they went with him into battle. But the fear of the unknown was hard. So how do we change our motivations? I mean, this is like what science has studied for a long time. So I'm not really going to tell you anything majorly huge here. But in a simple way, how do we change the motivations if we want to walk with the Lord in a way that we say yes to him? First thing is, you need to pray to God. And you just need to say to him, Lord, I want to want the motivation to follow you. You see what I'm saying? I want to want the motivation to follow you. I truly believe it is okay to go to the Lord and say that. And the reason I say that is because there was a centurion in the New Testament that said to God, Lord, I got some faith, but not a lot. Will you help me? This is a simple request. Go to the Lord and say, God, I want to want to follow you. Will you help me to have that desire? Say, Lord, I don't have the motivation for these things you desire, Will you help me? God wants that prayer. You know why? Because just like in the cycle of the judges, what it said to them, what it says to God is, Lord, we're not enough. We need you. Will you deliver me? And then by faith, you know what the right thing to do is. You take one step forward. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, one step forward. I'm going to start reading my Bible for five minutes today. I'm going to ask one person, what's your spiritual beliefs? I'm going to, in my small group, Share something that's a little bit more vulnerable. One step forward, and this is what happens. God will meet you there with the physical, the emotional, and the, the relational help that you need as you live that out. So here's what I want you to do. I want you at your table to talk about this question. What are the things you're easily motivated to do and why? 
And what are the things that you're not easily motivated to do and why? Take a couple minutes to talk about that. We're going to pick up back in verse 9. By the way, what was easy for you guys to do? What did you say? What? Yeah, what are the things that you're motivated to do? To read? Okay, you're reading. What else? What are some things you guys say? What? Sports is easy. Programming. Yeah. Programming, procrastination. Yes. All right. Is anyone is anyone willing to be vulnerable and say what's difficult for them to do and why? To live? Okay. It can be hard sometimes. What? Be interruptible. Oh, that's a good one. When you got your own thing and you want to do that. That's true. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah. Read the Bible. Is that one? Yeah. Spontaneity. Okay. It can be hard. Yeah. Okay. Verse 9, here's what it says. And he said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So Deborah tells him, look, your conditional response, this is how I think we know that his response was not what God desired. Because Deborah then basically tells him, your conditional response to this is not going to lead to the honor that you could have gotten if you would have just accepted what I said and gone out and lived it in faith. And I think it's interesting that God wants us to be a part of experiencing the really cool things that he gets to do. God's saying to Brock, Brock, I want to use you to be the leader that will deliver the people of Israel. I want you to experience some of that honor. God wants that. And I wonder how often I miss seeing God do cool things and God things because I'm scared and I'm fearful. And I think what we need to have is a good FOMO, right? We often talk about FOMO and it's a bad thing. I think we can have a good FOMO, the fear of missing out of what God's going to do. And say, okay, Lord, what do you call me to? I don't want to miss it. Let me walk that out. So let me ask you a couple questions to help you drive this point home. Have you ever, this is rhetorical, have you ever regretted doing something God called you to do? I think we would all say, if God called us to do it and we did it, we never regretted it. Second question, have you ever regretted not doing something God called you to do? I think we would all say, yeah, I've regretted not doing the things that God called me to do. So even if you do something that God called you to and it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it would, that's okay. Did you take the step of faith to walk it out that God's calling you to? Now, I'll say this to give you a good example. Anyone, someone come talk to me after. Don't ruin my example. But if anyone, I believe that ask anyone who's gone on the bike trip if they regretted it. I have never heard someone say they regretted it. I've heard people say it was really hard. I wouldn't do it again, but I'm really glad I went. And if, that, if that's not you, if you regret going, come talk to me afterwards. I want to know. But the reality is for some people, they were like, God, I think you're calling me to do this. I'm going to do it even if I don't have all the answers. So let's read on and see what happens in verses 10 to 13. And Barak called out Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went with him. So they all go with him. He draws them out to come. It says, now Heber, this is a little side note, verse 11 here. It says, Now Haber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaninim. There's some hard words in here. Which is near Kadesh. And then verse 12, 
When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, remember what God said, he'll call him out. Verse 13, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Herosheth Hagioim to the river Kishon. So he calls him out. God moves, however he does it, he moves Sisera to take his 900 chariots to go to Mount Tabor. Now verse 14, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But here's the thing. This is what God did behind the scenes that we couldn't see. There's two things here. One, Barak didn't know how God was going to draw out Sisera. Why would Sisera go to Mount Tabor? In a military sense, it makes, no, it makes no sense. But you know why, I think? Because I think Sisera was prideful. He thought, I don't care if all the Israelites are going up to Mount Tabor. We'll take our 900 chariots. We'll defeat them. They got no chance. So God draws out Sisera. They defeat him by the sword. But one of the things that Judges chapter 4 doesn't say that Judges chapter 5 does, I'll put it up on the screen. Chapter 5 is really this kind of speech in this song by Deborah and Barak. And here's what it says in verses 20 and 21. It says, from the heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torment, the torrent Kishan swept them away. And the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishan marched on my soul with might. Now you might not know what that's saying. What that's saying is God allowed a massive storm to come. That guess what? It created so much mud that those 900 chariots were worthless. They were stuck in the mud and couldn't go anywhere. And so where does Sisera go? He flees on foot. What he thought was his security, these 900 chariots, were worthless at that point. I just want to tell you this. We cannot always see how God is working, but we can act in faith when he calls us to follow him. And God is jealous for his own glory. God wants to see himself get his own glory, and he also wants to use us. I think often... I've experienced this in my life. God doesn't tell me exactly how it's going to work out. He doesn't say, these are the exact things you got to do. Here's exactly how it's going to work out. Here's a, here, go do it. And then God says, I'm calling you to it. Walk, walk it by faith in me. And you, I think sometimes the reason God doesn't give us exactly how it's going to happen, because one, he knows, if I told you exactly how it's going to happen, you probably wouldn't do it. And two, he wants to get the glory. He wants to use us, but he wants the glory. So here's what happens. Let's pick up in verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. So here comes Heber. He's back, he's back in. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. So the Kenites were Bedouin people. Bedouin people are people that don't have a home. They just kind of travel around in the desert. They take their different uh, uh, flocks to feed in different places. So they kind of roamed around. But the Kenites and uh, Sisera, they, had, they were okay with each other. And it says, verse 18, and Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. So Sisera must have known where Hebe the Kenite and Jael lived. So he goes there and she says, Yeah, come on in. Don't be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug, trying to hide him because he's like, Look, they're following me. Verse 19, and he said to her, 
Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. So this is kind of the uh, typical uh, Middle Eastern hospitality, giving him food. She's trying to protect him. And he said to her, I'm sorry, verse 20, and he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say, no. Here's how we can't see what God's working. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. So what we need to know is, because she was a Bedouin woman, she would be the one actually that would set the tent up quite often. So she was pretty skilled with this. So she covers him up. We are not told why. There's nothing here that tells us why J.L. wanted to kill Sisera. Because her husband, they had a, the two nations were okay with each other. For some reason, she didn't like him. And so, the interesting thing is, Barak thought it was Deborah that was going to receive the glory. But it was actually J.L. that received the glory for killing Sisera. And then in verse 22, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, J.L. went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you're seeking. So he went into her tent and lay, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. And verse 23, And so on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. So this was the thing that got them over the hill, and they end up coming out of the oppression. And over time, they pressed on, and they defeated the Canaanites. The Canaanites. So, here's something I want you to think about for a minute. I just want you to think about it to yourself. How could Barak have acted differently with his motivations in the beginning? Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was scary. It was fearful. But can you look back for yourself at how God has been faithful in your life and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you this next thing you call me to. And then just want you to think about what would be really cool to see God do in and through you? Don't think it, it doesn't have to be some huge thing. I'm going to start this huge ministry. Or I'm going to start this huge company. Just even just like, Lord, I would want to see you use me to reach my friends this year. I want to see you use me to reach my family. I want to see you use me to reach my small group, my neighbor. I don't know, whatever it is. Just saying, what would be cool to see God do in and through you? And so just to kind of end and apply this, and then we'll end with a worship song here, is listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. If it lines up with Scripture, you can be pretty sure it's probably from God. Take little steps. And then what is the one thing God is calling you to do today. Don't put conditions on it. Act in faith. And know this, God wants you, he wants to use you to be a part of the victories that he does. He wants to use you. Will you say yes? Let me pray and then we'll worship. Lord, I thank you for this this story uh, of Barak and Deborah. And uh, Lord, I thank you how you were faithful what you said you'd do. And God, I pray for all of us in this room, but especially some that I think you're just speaking to of what you're calling them to do. And they've been thinking, I don't know, it sounds scary. That they would just say, Lord, okay, I'm going to have faith and take that step. And God, there's ways that you're working. You've already been working that we can't see. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged to say, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.